The Music and Musicians at the Royal Chapel, Episode 3, The 1683 Competition. March, 1683. Spring has gently sprung. They're opening the palace windows. Le Nôte's gardens are starting to blossom, the water spouts and the fountains, and it's pleasantly warm. It's been one year, almost to the day, since the king decided to install his court permanently at Versailles. One year, and 1683 looks to be a key moment in Versailles' musical life. Louis XIV has long been contemplating a serious overhaul of his religious music, and he decides to hold a large competition to recruit the new music masters for his beloved chapel. His two faithful composers, Henri Dumont and Pierre Robert, are set to leave the chapel after 20 years of service. At 73 and 60 years old, respectively, they have reached the age of a well-deserved retirement. And it must be said that they are a bit reticent about the king's grand modernization projects. They therefore leave their posts with all the related honors and a very nice bonus. So their posts, music masters of the music of the royal chapel, must be filled. Louis XIV wants some new blood and new talent. He therefore decides to hire four new musicians in order to set everything straight. Apparently, it was Lully, his music superintendent, who gave him this idea that an alternating service would guarantee a more competitive atmosphere and therefore a more reinvigorated repertoire for the new religious music that Louis XIV was looking for. the best musicians in the kingdom, and he intends to recruit them on the basis of merit, hence the creation of the most transparent and objective competition possible. So the court sends out a notice to all the provinces in the kingdom, to all the bishops who make an announcement in their cathedrals telling their music masters that the competition will be held. The best among them, the elite musicians, are invited to Versailles to perform a motet during mass of their own composition in front of the king and the court. And Louis XIV will even pay for their trip. An opportunity like this only happens once in a lifetime. The announcement quickly has its desired effect as 35 candidates answer the king's call. Tabard. Dash, Minoré, Grabu, Salomon, Poirier, Desmarais, Charpentier. The list's length and the candidate's high level both show how sought after this position is. The musicians come from all over France, from the east, from the west, from the estates of Languedoc, and there are even some foreign-born musicians in the mix. 
The details of the competition are described in the main periodical of the time period, Le Mercure Galant, which chronicles all of its disappointments, failures, and successes. This shows not just how very public this event was, but also that Louis XIV wants things to be transparent. The hiring must be fair, and the choices must be unquestionable. The first round begins. For several weeks, the king and the court hear a new motet every day at the daily mass. They listen attentively, trying to suss out those talents worthy of such a prestigious position. But for some of them, this ordeal at the court is rather painful, even cruel. That is certainly the case for Jacques Le Sueur, the renowned music master who came from the Rouen Cathedral to present his motet. No doubt overcome with enthusiasm, he did not skimp on the ornamentations, the roulades, and the rhetorical effects that were a bit too pronounced and affected. For example, he wrote a fugue on the word cadente, they fall in Latin, that was so long, so insistent, and so naively figurative that it was like watching a man roll all the way down a mountain and crash to a halt at the bottom, according to those who attended the Mass that morning. Well then, that one will certainly not be able to get back up on his feet, commented a courtier. This witty turn of phrase made everyone laugh uproariously, including the king himself. And of course, that one will certainly never be seen in Versailles again. Poor Le Sueur was quite hurt. He developed a bitter resentment for the court and threw all his compositions into the fire. From then on, he would only write austere and cold pieces. Fifteen candidates remain after this first round at court. In the second round, they'll have to choose the creme de la creme. It has to be proven that the motet that they performed at Mass is indeed their own composition. To do so, nothing is better than a sequestered closed-door exam. The candidates are brought someplace where they are given room and board by the king. They are isolated individually in separate rooms and are not allowed to have contact with anyone. They are given manuscript paper and writing materials. They receive their meals through a slot at the bottom of the door. They have six days to complete a motet for a selected psalm, namely Psalm 31, Beati quorum remise sunt, or Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven, which has a rich, expressive potential. It's up to the candidates to musically render as best they can the contrasting passions of suffering, jubilation, pride, and serenity. Then they draw straws in order to determine the order in which the motets will be performed in front of the king and court. One motet will be performed each day during the king's mass. The Moe Cathedral music master, Nicolas Goupillet, opens up the dance floor on the 26th of March. 
followed the next day by Jean Mignon, the Notre Dame de Paris music master. On the seventh day, the Queen Marie Therese's music master, Paolo Lorenzani, takes his turn. The fifteenth and last candidate is Pascal Collas from the city of Reims. Certain aspects of the competition are similar to the system that we use nowadays, announcing the position's vacancy, a compulsory exam, the sequestering, and the two rounds. However, the assessment was quite different from the system we now have. It wasn't really a jury in the strictest sense of the word. The laureates were chosen through a less formal consultation. The king studied the court's reaction and discussed each candidate's qualities with certain distinguished leading figures. Prenez Colas, la lande, minoré meilleur, minoré meilleur. Louis XIV wants it to be objective, but different cliques start to form and favoritism seeps in. Each influential leading figure tries to get his protege hired. Lully is supporting Pascal Collas, his assistant and most faithful disciple. Pierre Robert is rooting for Guillaume Minoret. And Bossuet, supported by the Dauphine, is trying to convince the king to choose Nicolas Goupillet, the Meaux Cathedral music master, of which Bossuet is the bishop. Malicious gossip said that he is only doing so in order to get rid of Goupillet. In any case, once these three musicians are selected, there is only one spot left. The king asserts his choice for this last spot. Gentlemen, I have taken those whom you have presented to me. It is only right that I choose someone to my taste. I shall take Lalande. So, for the October quarter, the king chooses Michel Richard de Lalande. This 26-year-old musician had already been noticed five years prior during another competition for the king's organist position, for which he was considered too young at the time. Louis XIV will never regret this choice, just as for the other talented individuals he unearthed and nurtured, like Lully, Molière, Le Nôtre, Lebrun, and Ardouin Mansart. Minoret, Nicolas Goupillet, Pascal Collas, and Michel Richard de Lalande are henceforth the four new music masters in a royal chapel that's growing quickly. The motet that the young Lalande composed for the competition is the only one remaining. Unfortunately, the other competitors' scores seem to have been lost until we find them someday. The king's personal investment in this hiring and the competitive spirit that it sparked in the kingdom only added to the royal chapel's prestige and that of its new music masters. They could henceforth set down to work composing new motets for large choirs, thus putting to music the king's devotion and celebrating his glory. (laughs) ¶¶ 
The motet for large choir is an instrument of power and a real laboratory of musical experiments. And it's the subject of our next episode. Find out more about the Royal Chapel and the key figures in this episode on xpodcast.cmbv.fr. Discover our archives, videos, interviews, and much more. A Centre de Musique Baroque de Versailles podcast in collaboration with the Palace of Versailles. Narrated by Zachary Wilder, written by Suzanne Gervais, scientific expert Thomas Lecomte, and the production team Olivier Guérin, Pierre Monteil, and Philippe Mercher. Yeah.